0: you listening to the Worldwide Tribe podcast. I'm your host, Jaz O'Hara, and together with some very special guests, we'll be taking you on a journey across the world without you having to go anywhere. We're here to amplify voices from the people leaving their countries and everything behind them, to the volunteers working alongside them. We'll be hearing from those currently living in refugee camps and people on the front line—the real heroes of today, the humans behind the statistics and the headlines. Join me as we transcend borders, nationalities, religions and languages to hear from the people with which we share this world, our worldwide tribe. To the Worldwide Tribe podcast. I am so happy to be saying that. I'm buzzing. It's been absolutely ages since the last episode of season three. So, this is season four. Welcome. This is episode one of season four. And yes, as I say, it's been a few months since the end of season three with that epic conversation with former radical jihadi Manwar Ali. If anyone hasn't listened to that one yet, I would very, very much recommend it. We ended on a high. He now does some absolutely incredible work to counteract extremism in the UK. He's one of the only scholars in the UK who was directly involved in radical jihad. Anyway, I'm not talking about previous episodes. I'm talking about today's episode and what season four has got in store for you. I'm super, super excited to be sharing some amazing guests. I've already recorded some episodes which you are absolutely in for a treat with. But before jumping straight into a conversation with a guest, it felt right to me to chat to you a little bit because it has been a few months and lots has happened in that period of time and lots of people have been asking me what's been going on to give a little bit of an update. So here we are. This is what this is. There's a few things that I really wanted to talk to you about today and One of those is the trip that I made to Beirut after the explosion there on the 4th of August 2020. You guys might remember it although I have to say it did kind of grace our news for a short period. It was all over social media. Everyone was really shocked for a few days really maybe a matter of weeks and then quickly things settled down. The world forgot about it I guess but a year previously I'd been in Beirut and I've been working in Beirut for the last few years with some incredible people there. And it was very much on the forefront of my mind Um, during the weeks following the explosion. We were fundraising. I was writing a lot about the situation there. And I really felt the urge to go and do what I could to support the community that we support there anyway. You know, we support Syrian refugees in the city, uh, of which there are many and they are the most vulnerable in that society often. And when something like this happens, this explosion, it's the most vulnerable that are most affected. So, anyway, I made the plan to go, to get out there. And before I went, I was really feeling the weight uh, very heavily of the impact of the blast. I was focusing a lot of communications around the destruction and the impact on people's lives, the victims, I guess. You know, I was talking a lot about, yeah the devastation in the city, how different it was now from the year previously, the memories that I'd had there, how, you know, it would never be the same again. Actually, on arrival there, I very, very quickly kind of changed my perception and the way that I was communicating what happened. And I kind of had some guilt about how I had been sharing the impact of the explosion and the stories of the explosion. I felt like I wasn't doing the people of Beirut justice because... You know, very quickly, I met some incredible people. I met a lot of grassroots groups doing incredible work. And the energy just reminded me, actually, of the early days of Calais in Greece back in 2015, when there was this incredible grassroots response of people just doing what they could normal people, everyday people, young people, old people rallying together to support the humanitarian crisis that was happening around them, basically. And that was the same when I got to Beirut, the energy of so many people supporting their neighbours in every way that they could, right? I actually wanted to read a message that I wrote on my Instagram page about exactly this. Instagram really serves as a little bit of a diary for me, really. It's the way that I kind of express what I'm feeling. It becomes a little bit of a journal. And this is what I wrote three days into that trip I'm three days into this trip to Beirut and I've had a big realisation I made a mistake and have been doing the city a huge disservice by posting so much about the explosion destruction and devastation before I got here I was thinking about it constantly and was caught up in the stories of those who were injured or had lost their houses but since I got here that's literally all changed I arrived to a freshly painted, carefully decorated Airbnb and a super kind host who told me about all his efforts to rebuild other small local businesses. I was taken under the wing of an amazing girl called Dara, who I'd been in contact with before, and we went out for dinner and got a free dessert platter, a highlight of the trip. Whilst walking around the city, what has stood out to me most are the beautiful, colourful shutters against the contrasting walls the beautiful plants that I've never seen before, the corners of creativity in the form of vegan cafes, independent little shops, awesome street art. All of that is still there, rising from the rubble, I guess. Most notably, though, I've also been inundated with messages about incredible initiatives, grassroots groups popping up all over the city to distribute food and emergency packages to those in need. And I just want to shout out to a couple of the ones that I visited while I was there live love beirut rebuild beirut nation station which was this amazing conversion of an old gas station or petrol station that was disused and this group of incredible volunteers had put in a huge oven and were cooking for people in the area and distributing stuff from there like clothing and uh, supplies and it was just amazing to see how people had organized And then when I got home from Beirut, I took a little bit of time to regroup to being back in London, I guess. And I took a little bit of time away from social media. And when I did post on Instagram again, I said, I've been pretty quiet on here since I got back to London from Beirut. I needed some time to reground into a whole different reality in life. I used to find it really hard to go between two different worlds, especially back when I was spending more time in Calais, in the Calais Jungle Refugee Camp. I will never forget coming home for Christmas after those first few intense months that I spent there in 2015 and sitting around the table with my family with an absolute feast of food in front of us and just having this huge lump in my throat. I didn't know what to do with the experiences that I'd acquired that year. The realisation that there were people, my friends, so close by, spending Christmas outside in that camp and that I couldn't do anything about it. My family was celebrating the same way that we did every year, but everything felt different because I was different. I felt that I was mourning a previous version of myself, that I will never get back. An innocence, I guess, but also a naivety. It took me some time to channel these emotions and now... It's what motivates me to get up every morning and keep sharing these stories, even when it feels like no one is listening. I've realised that ignorance is not bliss, because deep down, if our neighbours are suffering, then we can never really move forward as a society. We are all connected. Guilt can be debilitating and isn't useful, but taking responsibility is purposeful and positive. I recognise that all I can do is my best and commit to learning until I know better, at which point I can do better. It's definitely a journey. I hope those thoughts resonate with you. Um, It's a little post that I wrote on Instagram again, as I say, as a way of kind of journaling my thoughts and feelings and sharing them. It's always been a very cathartic process for me to do so. So Beirut ended up being the only work trip that I made in 2020, I guess, or since COVID began. I did a Cheeky little trip at the beginning of the year to Hamburg to see Sarah and Yusra Mardini. If anyone remembers those podcast episodes, they're another two of my favourite, and they were two of the last episodes, or it was the last trip that I got in before we went into lockdown in March. Um, so yeah, Beirut felt like a big deal. It was kind of in the window where things were opening up a little bit around September. And then things locked down again, and it kind of meant for me re-looking at the work that the Worldwide Tribe does and that I'm doing, and really just focusing on things that are a little bit closer to home, which has only been a positive, I think, as there's so much happening here in the UK when it comes to asylum seekers and refugees and immigration in general. Our government has really been well, not doing me proud when it comes to our response to Refugees arriving to the UK or asylum seekers arriving to the UK and no clearer has that been shown than with its hostile environment policy rolled out in many ways. An example of something that really has taken my heart and my energy and my soul in the last few months has been what's happening at Napier Barracks in Folkestone. You guys might have seen me writing about it on Instagram or you might have heard about it in the news, but it's an ex-army barracks that since September 2020 has become home to 400 recently asylum-seeking men to the UK. When I say recently, I mean they've recently arrived to the UK to seek asylum here. And it's still very much on my radar because the conditions there are now worse than ever. Out of 400 residents, 22 of them are on suicide watch and over a quarter of them have COVID-19. I actually went to the barracks to a welcome event there in October, I think it was, um, beginning of October, to show the refugees and asylum-seeking men there that they are welcome here, that we do want them here, that the far-right extremist groups that had been threatening them at the gates and driving past and creating a hostile environment and a threatening environment were not representational of everybody in the UK and how we feel so this event was a big deal. It was a, a lovely kind of party atmosphere on the day that I arrived. People were playing things like We Are Family through the speakers and just the perfect songs for the occasion. We were holding banners and letting people know inside the building that they were welcome, that they were wanted, that they were safe. Although I wish that was the case, they're not very safe in that barracks, you know, they are under threat of coronavirus. It's very difficult to socially distance. People are sleeping on beds right next to each other. No privacy, lack of proper food. The canteen has been shut because of the COVID outbreak, so they're only receiving sandwiches. I could go on about the conditions there. But anyway, going back to that welcome event, it was a really beautiful experience. We didn't actually get to connect with anyone inside because they were kind of held back from the big barbed wire fence that was between us hopefully that still instilled a little bit of positivity into an otherwise very unwelcoming situation for the residents there. Talking about people recently arriving to the UK, you know, since the summer, we've been seeing more in the news about the channel crossings that people are making in unfit boats in rubber dinghies arriving to the shores of Kent in Folkestone and places close to there. And that's something, again, that you know, has felt very close to home. I grew up in Kent, my family live in Kent, my foster brothers, they all arrived crossing the Channel. So the response that our government proposed to prevent asylum seekers from arriving to the UK that way just felt hugely... uh, I don't even know the words to use, you know, responses like using nets to disable these dinghies or using water cannons to create waves and push back dinghies or relocating asylum seekers to an island 5,000 miles away or, you know, locking asylum seekers on retired oil rigs and just bullshit tactics, horrible tactics that are the opposite of the way that I feel that we should receive a small group of vulnerable people who need our help. We proposed an alternative proposal, which was creating a safe legal way for people to seek asylum, supporting people in the process of seeking asylum, stop criminalising people for seeking asylum, educating people in the UK on what it means to seek asylum or seek safety. And also to base our immigration policy on compassion and empathy and basic human rights, because surely, surely we can understand that there's no other option here. So in response to these channel crossings, we actually made a film that we put out just before Christmas called Mother. You guys might have seen it on my social media. It was a really important film to me, very close to home, because it's the first time that we've actually, through film, talked a little bit about two of my foster brother's stories, Mez and Bijo. and my mum appeared in the film as well. And so Mez and my mum you've met on the podcast previously. They've both been guests. They've both talked about their stories and their journeys mares from Eritrea to England and then life in England since he made it here as a child refugee. For anyone who doesn't know, I've got four foster brothers who are all refugees. They all arrived to the UK as unaccompanied minors. And in the episode that I did with my mum, we talked about what it's like to be a mum of eight kids from five different countries. Yeah, we talked about it in audio format before. I've posted stories of them before, but we haven't made a film like this. So it was new. I was very proud to see Mez and Joe in front of the camera telling their stories. You know, it's emotional for them to bring up trauma that they've experienced. We shot it on the beach in Hastings and we talked about their crossing of the water and what that felt like to them. And yeah, we put it out just before Christmas as a bit of an alternative Christmas story to highlight what our stances when it comes to responding to people in need, to be welcoming to people in need. It seems pretty basic. I wrote on Instagram as well that I welcome refugees because if I was in danger, I hope someone would welcome me. And that's basically what it comes down to treat others how you want to be treated. So, yeah, we put out that new film and Christmas rolled around. On Christmas Eve, things were kind of coming to a head with Brexit and France had closed their borders and there were many lorry drivers stuck on the roads in Kent trying to get to the UK and it looked likely that they would be spending Christmas on the motorway in Kent, unable to move forward, unable to move back, kind of stuck there in these queues that we were seeing in the news. And our mayor's, my Eritrean has been working for Domino's this year uh he's a delivery driver but has actually worked his way up in the branch and is a manager now but he actually delivered pizzas to the lorry drivers stuck on these roads and to me that just felt like a really beautiful sentiment for him to do that especially because you know he came to the uk in the back of a lorry So that's a bit of an overview of some of the things that have happened since season three of the podcast ended. But if I look back over 2020 and I think about what was the most impactful thing to happen to me, one thing stands out very clearly. And it's something that I haven't really shared much about on Instagram. I haven't talked about it on the podcast and it feels like now is the right time. The reason that I haven't been so open and forthcoming about this on Instagram is out of respect, I guess, for who it involves, for my family. But yeah, I'll I'll just tell you what I'm talking about. So basically in March 2020, I did mention, I did tell you guys, and lots of you might know that we got a new brother in my family, a fourth new brother. He's only 13. And in this podcast episode, we'll call him Z and it was a huge thing for my family like each of the times before again for anybody who doesn't know he's the fourth foster brother to join our family the previous three are from Eritrea Sudan and Afghanistan and each time it's a very beautiful and exciting thing yeah it was just very exciting for all of us and it's been the biggest blessing to come out of 2020. So going back to the day that he arrived, it was March 2020 just before lockdown began and we got the phone call from social services and the minute that we got that phone call I jumped on the train from London to my mum and dad's house in Kent because I really wanted to be there when he arrived and I was so excited that I did record some clips and videos and audio bits that I can share with you today. Here's one from the train station when I was on my way. So, the most exciting thing ever is happening right now. I'm a bit embarrassed to be filming this in public, but I'm too excited, so I don't care. Um, But basically, yesterday I found out that my mum and dad are fostering another boy, the fourth brother, fourth new brother that I've had in five years, and he he arrives today. And I can't wait to meet him. I'm going to go meet him now. He's only 13 my lovely reliable dad was waiting for me at the station when i got there and he drove me home we had a little chat about it in the car and he arrived uh, either yesterday or the day before I'm not sure so literally into england yeah. into england yeah absolutely Well i don't know any more than that but i guess we'll find out more this afternoon how are you feeling excited <laughs> yeah i just can't imagine how he must be feeling right now yeah, just, just overwhelmed, probably. Yeah. And uh, when he gets to our house, he'll probably feel even more overwhelmed. <laughs> because it's such a madhouse. I mean, he's probably on his way now. Yeah, yeah he's like, Where be, yeah. the hell where am I going? I got home to find my mum waiting with a cup of tea. And she was very excited to when she'd got the call that he was coming. She'd been out shopping to get some bits for him that she thought that he would need. What else did you buy? Uh, socks. <laughs> <laughs> Why well, have you got felt
1: pen? Well, they're nice for writing with. So we can do some writing and, you know, it's nice.
0: It is nice. And I'm going to write
1: his name on it, but I wasn't sure how to write it, how to spell his name. And I was going to buy underpants, but I don't, don't know his body
0: shape. I thought he might be big. He might be little. <laughs> so maybe I better wait, you know. Yeah, and 13, you could be big or little, right? Yeah. Mum, are you excited?
1: Very uh, and I bought him uh, body lotion, nice. And um, I made his bed nice with an extra blanket because it's so horrible and cold.
0: <laughs> yeah, I'm really excited. And then there was the knock at the door that we'd all been waiting for, and there he was with his social worker. Hello, can nice to, nice to, to put your bags here?
1: Thank you, Diane. Shall take your cold? Shall I take it? Be cold? Be cold in England? Be cold and wet? Wet and cold. Rain? Nice to meet you.
0: Thank you. He was so small. That's what struck me immediately and seemed so gentle and so fearful of what was to come, you know, and we couldn't communicate very well because he didn't speak any English. But thankfully, we actually, for the first time in all four boys, had a translator in the house because he spoke the same language as my brother Bijo from Sudan. They both speak Arabic. So a couple of hours later it was time to pick Bijo up from college. And on the way back in the car, it was warming my heart to hear Bijo chat to him. You know, as soon as Bijo got in the car, he said, welcome, brother. And my heart just exploded and they were chatting in the back. And clever little Bijo capitalised on the situation and straight away asked mum if she could get them lots of chocolate and sweets.
1: Could you get us some
0: chocolate. Christian and chocolate. <laughs> I got yeah. some chocolate. I got some chocolate, yeah. Ask him ask him what's his favourite food. It didn't take long before they were talking about football and I guess have been talking about it ever since. It's been a very big topic of conversation. <laughs> and he's a Liverpool fan, Beech. Yeah, he's,
1: he's a, a Liverpool, Liverpool fan. fan. He likes football and he likes Liverpool. <laughs> Liverpool. Yeah. <laughs> um, Dad is happy. Dad is happy. It's not my team. I know. It's so funny.
0: When we got home, we had a cup of tea and a chat, and then we had some dinner. And after dinner, we played a game um, of cards, and it was really lovely to hear Picho explaining to him. And it didn't take long before we were all getting it and laughing. And yeah, it was a really beautiful, beautiful evening. Jack. We, yeah. so we won't
1: play rooms. Okay. okay, okay I'm gonna you know, the
0: joker.
1: Shame because of my hand. I'm going <laughs> to leave the the Where is the five? I'm going the room. I'm going to yeah, canapsger.
0: Uh we're not playing runs tonight, Beach. Okay.
1: But I'm just mm. explaining yeah, yeah, yeah. if he, someone played 10.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So he can go lower oh, low or high.
0: So as I was digging through my phone to find these audio clips of the day that he arrived and I realized that you know you can't even really hear them very well. The sound's not that great. Would it not be easier for me to just actually get my mum back on the podcast and have this conversation with her and ask her about that day that he arrived and how things have been ever since? So here you have exactly that. This is a conversation with my mum that I had just a couple of days ago. And I really hope that you enjoy it. Hello, mum. Hello, Jeff. It's been a while, hasn't it, since we've done this? How long ago do you think it was? You were one of my first ever episodes and Mm -hmm. the first episode went out on World Refugee Day in uh, June 2019. A year and a half ago. Yeah, and a lot has changed. We've had
1: the dreaded 2020 in that time, haven't we? A lot has changed, but it feels like nothing much has changed because of lockdown. It feels a bit like nothing much is happening, but then everything is
0: happening, isn't it? it's like not big momentous things like I always measure my time in trips so last January I was in Bangladesh and then in February I was in Calais Mm. and then in March and because this year I haven't had any of that it feels like I haven't done anything Mm. but it just looks different. I think that's one thing that lockdown has taught us
1: to actually appreciate the things we are doing and we are actually doing so much
0: just by being at home but sometimes I don't count it. You know, I've been having some thoughts in the last few days about impact. And the impact that you're having. We carry this weight around often that we feel that we need to have purpose in mm-hmm. life. And actually, that is a huge debilitating weight because what is purpose? You know, not knowing what that is or looking for that can really stop you from doing anything because it feels so big. But actually, the impact that you can have on people every day in the little moment is huge, whether that be a smile to somebody that you walk past. There's so much that can have impact mm-hmm within your everyday with the people around you and within these four walls of this house your impact is is huge yeah i often think what am i here for
1: what am i here for and i think if you you guys are wondering what the noise is it's my my cat we have a new cat as well the little kitten we have a little little lovely kitten called pippi and she's crazy and wild and lovely and gives us a lot of fun
0: One of the two new family members of 2020. One of the
1: two new family members. Which we will get into a little bit later. Yes. So, what am I here for? I often think and wonder about. And it doesn't have to be anything massively big. I mean, it's big enough for me to just be here for the people that come through my life the people that I spend time with on a daily basis. And with lockdown, we really spend time with each other, didn't we? I mean, the people in the house you spend time with. For you, jazz it was people you live with. For me, it was, yeah, the boys. The boys
0: that I'm living with. If I think about 2020, the most important thing that happened in my life, and I would imagine that it's the same for you, is that we did have a new family member join the family. We did, yeah, in March 2020. Just before the lockdown,
1: our lovely new boy arrived. He was only 13. Yeah, he's been a pleasure, an absolute pleasure. But unfortunately, just after he arrived, like probably a week after, we went into lockdown. So he didn't go to school he didn't have much to do at home because there was no school involved with his home schooling. So it was all down to me to school him. <laughs> so it was straight into home lessons. And he, he talks about it now because he's learned a lot actually in the, in the last 10 months. He hardly spoke any English and now he's amazing. But um, he said in the beginning you were strict. You made me get up at nine o'clock and do lessons. <laughs> nine o'clock, I- you had it easy. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> But I just had this feeling when lockdown started and we had this new boy in the house and and the other two boys. I thought, how can I manage this situation? And to me, the best way to do it was to have some sort of a routine going every day. And it worked, I think. So we got up at nine, started sort of lessons at 10 and worked for a couple of hours and had a break. And in the afternoon, the boys would just do their thing, whatever they wanted to do. They all reacted very differently to lockdown. The newest member, I'll I'll call him Z, he found lockdown quite hard and boring because he's a sociable boy. He wants to go and play football with other people. And he wasn't allowed to do that. And that was really hard and really sad. So all the three boys, they used to go to the park on a daily basis to just kick a ball. And Virtually every day they were sent home by police. And I don't know who rang the police, but I was very sad for them because they kept on saying, but we live in the same house. But because it all looked very different and I don't know why, they just weren't allowed to play football together. So the police didn't believe that they were family? Probably not. I suppose the good thing about it all was that we had amazing bonding time. So we really got to know each other. I mean, the the good and the bad, that's the thing in the same house. We are lucky because we have enough space and the weather was beautiful. We were outside a lot. We sat in the garden, you know. But still, we spend a lot of time together and sometimes you get on each other's nerves.
0: You, You just do. And how has the relationship been between the three boys? Was that interesting for you to see the dynamics? Because our newest brother, he spoke the same language as... Another one of my brothers and shared a a, um, a religion with him, right. right? But then they're all from different countries. They're all from different backgrounds and still emerging of different cultures within one family. So how did that play out? It's always interesting because the other thing that happened was
1: that very soon after that, Amma came back home. She'd gone to Bournemouth to study for a master's, and then lockdown happened so she came to live back home there was no space for her in the house so she was living in what we call my she shed in the garden which is where I normally do my counseling but as I wasn't allowed to see clients in person anyway I had to go and do my counseling online so we were suddenly six in the house or in the house in the garden (laughs) and Amber is vegan The boys had never heard of that, veganism. (laughs) Well, Mez had, because for his religion, he does veganism for six weeks a year. But the other two had never heard of it. It was like, what is that? I mean, they get used to it really quick and they're really good at cooking for her. But that was a different dynamic in the house. There's always so many different views and vibes and it actually makes it
0: really interesting. I love the fact that Amber was here, especially during this time of arriving because she i guess is the epitome of a strong very independent very outspoken woman yes, right who yeah, has yeah. strong opinions about a lot of things and i guess quite feminist in yeah. her approach strong to feminist, a lot of, yeah. yeah which you know we all are of course at dinner time, for example, when, yeah. you know, she would want to have a beer with her dinner and the boys might not want that on the table if they were breaking their fast during Ramadan or something uh-huh. like that. It came up quite often yes. things like that, didn't it? Yes. And she said, well, why not? <laughs> you know?
1: So, yeah, we do have those chats and we had a lot of conversations every dinner time. So it was a, a fast learning curve for uh, little Z to come to this house with all these different people you know different ideas different beliefs you know he he just found it really interesting to have a woman in the house that would be in his mind so much well not like a woman you yeah? <laughs> know and he found it very strange that he was expected to tidy up after dinner and he really got into cooking he's a really good cook uh, he taught himself by just following recipes online and asking friends and just show him online mm. uh, on a video uh, how to how to cook. To me, it's just amazing. So that was great. So he's been doing a lot of cooking, and he actually enjoys it. He enjoys being creative with it.
0: I guess cooking wouldn't have been something culturally that he would have expected
1: no. to be doing as a teenage boy—cooking or cleaning. And we have a lot of conversations about, um, you know, just things like maybe periods. Mm-hmm. You know he'd say, "Well, what is that?" And okay, I'm was very happy to explain what it was, and he'd be quite horrified by it <laughs> by that that would happen to a woman maybe in the middle of a supermarket, things like that. we talk about
0: everything. I like the fact that you said that you have this book and I've seen it actually I found it the other day of you know a teenage guide to sex periods relationships yes. all of those things uh, and you just kind of leave it around in the hope that they might pick it up and give it yeah. a read but they avoid it at all costs yeah they? they
1: avoid it like a plane they don't want to listen to, they don't want to read about it but what they want to talk about it though they do want to know even on though it's shocking
0: ter- on in their own terms in their own, I own guess.
1: terms in their own time I do think lockdown is really hard for, for everyone, but I think especially for mothers. I'm lucky because, like I say, I have a house with space and a garden and I live in a village where there's lots of greenery and we can go for walks. But I do feel that as a mom, you have to do everything. You know, you have to work. You have to help your kids with their homeschooling. You still have to do your cooking and cleaning, shopping and God knows what, and deal with all the, the feelings that are going on between people in the house.
0: So yeah, I think it's, it's been really tough. Well, yeah, you're holding space for not just people who are going through lockdown and having to deal with that, but also people that are dealing with trauma. The cat is just <laughs> scratching. scratching around in the litter tray next to us. <laughs> Excellent. Ah. <laughs> He's having a poo whilst we record, are you? Peepy, lovely. <laughs> anyway... Yeah, you're holding space for people who are not just experiencing lockdown, which is a big thing in itself, but also experiencing trauma and post-traumatic stress of yeah. the things that they've been through. Change and- of culture. And you know what I've noticed
1: with the boys? Like you say, they're traumatised. They come from a long journey. And before the long journey, things had happened. And then they hit the ground running. And I really noticed that with Z, like... Okay, I'm here now. And now what? And there's this restlessness. There's maybe in the beginning, they call it the honeymoon period when everything is great and never arrives and like, yeah, great. And then very soon, because what well, was he? He couldn't go out anywhere, so it was hard. Very soon, there's suddenly this feeling of, okay, and now? Now what do I do? And actually, this is quite hard because now I'm mean, in this completely new situation, surrounded by. People that have no idea, you know. Although he lives with two boys that do have a bit of an idea, but
0: <laughs> can you smell that? <laughs> oh my god, oh. that's stink! <laughs> For God's sake, there's, there's always moment. There's
1: always something going on in his house. Yes, yeah. something exciting, oh, it's think... the cat pooing or whatever. Yeah, oh, so that is pungent.
0: We need to give that a moment.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yes. The beginning time can be really hard for them. And he really wanted to go to school and meet people and make friends. And for a long time, he couldn't do that. Because then from March till summer, we had like lockdown. And it was only in September, he could go back to school. Or he could start school, basically. He hadn't been. Um, and that was all- a lot of months. That's a lot of months, yeah. So that's from March till September. And then uh, he went to school for a short time. And he he settled quite well. You know, he's quite a strong lad. He doesn't want to be different from anyone else. He just went along to normal classes. Now there's another lockdown and he was just getting into football. He's an amazing football player. You can just imagine it when you really get into something like football or something you really love. Everything sort of falls into place. You know, your passion is there and he made friends there.
0: But now football is not on anymore. Really disappointing for him. I actually want to talk about that a bit more because he went through quite a dark patch of not having anything to kind of get up for, Mm -hmm. of having that long extended period here Mm -hmm. of not making friends. And when he could start playing at our local football club, things really changed for him Mm -hmm. and he turned a corner, right? And not just did he start playing for our local football club, they started bringing scouts to the team and he started doing trials for big London clubs and things were going really, really well. And what was really exciting about that was that the whole family was involved that dad was driving him to games on the other side of London and Mez was going with him and taking it so seriously yeah. and coaching him through these matches yeah. and training him on a daily basis. Yes. And that was a really big thing for him when it came to regaining a sense of yes. identity here in belonging, the UK.
1: Belonging, you know, that's when you feel like you start to belong because, you know, it, start, it takes time to build trust for him. I always say to him, it's okay, you, I don't expect you to trust me straight away. I trust you, but you don't have to trust me straight away. But you know, going to football, being driven there by, by that, like you say, mess going, it was just lovely for him. He was just so happy then. But now we're all back to lockdown. And yeah, it's, it's tough. It really is tough for the, for the young ones. And like I say, for me, it's tough too. <laughs> Yes.
0: going back to that idea of trust how do you build that because you're right things like that take a long time and if you're dealing with kids that have been hurt in Mm -hmm. the past do you find that that's a difficult thing to build up
1: yeah it is difficult and they can be very wary and they can see and hear things that aren't necessarily there because they're looking for it I think all I do is just be there all the time just be there and just show him that I'm trustworthy and that I am there for him. But that's all you can do. And I think it's the same with respect. I've been thinking a lot about respect lately because I often hear parents say about their teenagers especially, oh, he or she doesn't respect me. And respect actually means a sense of um, admiration, mm. a feeling of admiration for someone for what they've done which I think it's something you have to deserve in a way, you have to work on it. it, isn't just there. It takes time for that respect, for that admiration to grow. And I also always think it starts with you yourself. So I first have to show my respect for the child. And then I might at some time get some respect back. I don't just expect it and demand it, because it's one of those things that you can't demand. Just like you can demand from a child to go to sleep. I mean, how do you do that if you can't sleep? I have clients who are mothers and they bring me this stuff. And I think, yes, how does that work? What is respect? Why do we talk about it so much? And I think it's often to do with the stories we say to ourselves in our own head, the stories we we tell ourselves. But also what we do to each other, we sometimes do this thing which I call shit-stirring, we say to our friends, Oh, does your kid say that to you or do that? Oh, my child wouldn't be allowed. That's not
0: respectful. But often it has nothing to do with respect. I think you can apply that to all relationships as well right it's like you can take one thing as being disrespectful Mm -hmm. within your relationship with your partner or your housemates or whatever whilst we're at home during lockdown but actually it's not necessarily that that's you putting that label on it it. yeah Yeah. or that story attached to it like oh that means that they're not respecting me when actually it could mean that they're just too tired to wash Mm. their dishes that moment because they've had a really hard day. (laughs) <laughs> they might do it in the morning with pleasure if we talk about it or
1: think about it in that way it can really make us feel angry oh he should respect me or she should respect me mm-hmm. and they don't respect me and it's a
0: word that's I think, creates a lot of resentment. So when it comes to being that mother figure, not demanding respect, but actually you you do need mutual respect in this environment to kind of make things work, right? If they're disobedient or, you know, naughty, or how do you deal with that? The way I, I
1: tend to do it, I get curious about it. You say, oh, what is it you need? What is it you want? And when he tells me what he needs and wants, I try to listen to it because... If I say then, okay, I asked you what you needed, but I won't give it to you, that's not very helpful. I'm not always so sure of myself, don't think I always know what to do. And I often say, let me think about it, which doesn't mean yes or no. It gives me a little bit of time to think what I actually think about it rather than jumping to an answer.
0: A little bit of breathing room.
1: Like you guys never had a television in your room, right? and now z is here and what he desperately wanted was a tv and a playstation now normally i would have not liked that but now because of lockdown i think oh my god the poor boy he's he's gone crazy with boredom give him that give him that playstation and a tv so he can actually have some sort of relationship with some other boys that he's playing with you know
0: But is that only because of lockdown or is there an added element of the fact that you feel that you are working through years of pain that they've experienced? Mm So if they want a TV, sometimes I can imagine it feels like, you know what, I'm going to give you everything that I possibly can if I can. (laughs) Yeah, it is true what you're saying. It is a bit of both. Uh, You can't
1: always compare children with each other. You can't compare people with each other. The situations between you guys and your foster siblings are very different. Why are you laughing? <laughs> I'm
0: laughing because this reminds me of our Christmas with Secret Santa that you rigged so that you could have Z, so that you could spend <laughs> spend extra on him. Yes, that's
1: true. <laughs> that's true. But I know what I'm doing,
0: Jack. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I know, Mum. I trust you Im- implicitly. You know those boys better than anyone right now Mm-mm. because you're with them every day and I know that you feel what they're feeling and I know that that's Mm-mm. a difficult thing for you too because when they're down and they're hurting, that's affecting you yeah. and it's hard to separate yourself from that. But the Christmas was actually a good example
1: because we do a Secret at Christmas, which is lovely because I think it makes it much easier for me And everyone loves the giving as well as the receiving, right? And we have like a budget and it works quite well. But when you guys were 14, you didn't have to do Secret Santa. You just got loads of presents. True. Right? So that's also when I'm thinking about little Z. I think, oh, he's only 14. You know, it's different for him. He doesn't have to do a secret santa but the had a i spoiled them the first few mm. years that way so yeah you, you gotta be a bit flexible that way and i think you guys are all really good because you understand that and you accept it everyone has been the youngest for a little while you you for the least amount of time <laughs> yes. yes but everyone has been the youngest for a little while yeah i don't even remember it that doesn't count maybe no, you can't <laughs> remember it though yeah
0: I like the fact that dad has committed this year to doing Ramadan with the boys. So yes. Z and Joe, they're both fasting for Ramadan. They did this year. Um, it was hard this year, wasn't it? Because it, was mm, it was long days in well, the summer. Say, I, I am sort of dreading it, Jazz,
1: because your dad can be really, really grumpy when he's hungry. <laughs> the hunger is going to be
0: extreme, oh um, It's going to be intense. The hunger is going to be extreme. My dad actually coincidentally came into the room at that minute that we were talking about Ramadan and him fasting with the boys in his hangar. So he joined in our conversation for a minute and I thought I'd include it. I asked him when Ramadan was starting this year. The end of April. Okay, so earlier this year. Yeah, a- April going into May. On your birthday. Yeah, it is a- over my birthday. But um, yeah, I mean... Uh, you you're not going to do it completely are you darling? but you're going to kind of you know mm. participate a little bit but I will you? be getting up early in the morning before it's you know I really Yeah yeah because otherwise I won't you know I won't have anything to eat between going to bed and get, you know you late know, the next so day morning. and I'll probably have like you know porridge or something something heavy um but hearty you know Yeah maybe have an afternoon nap during yeah. those yeah. weeks going into the new year 2021 and we're still in lockdown but is there anything that you're feeling that you know you want to focus on this year? Well my word
1: for my life has always been flexibility especially since I've had kids right you know how people say I've got a word for the year well I always say my word has always been flexibility be flexible.
0: You've had a word of three generations no three generations What's it, 10 years, three decades. (laughs) Yeah, three decades, that's right. Because as soon as I
1: had children, I thought the only thing I can advise to anyone is be flexible because nothing ever happens as you expect it to happen with children. And I always like that proverb. I can't remember exactly how it goes, but it's very much like, uh, don't be like a tree in the wind because a tree might split and break. Bend like a reed, you know, like a palm tree or whatever. Go with the
0: winds mm-hmm. flow with it, and I, I like that a lot. What comes to mind is last time I was here for dinner it was Sunday, and you'd made a big roast, and your dad had actually there was a big dinner on the table mm-hmm. and you told the boys what time we were eating what time to be home and none of them were there it got to like six o'clock and no one was home and dad had made this big leg of halal lamb and i'm vegan you weren't eating that You're veggie he was the only one there that would be eating that meat and he was like oh great none of the boys are here and i think mez and bijo turned up maybe an hour or so later they're working for deliveroo Your response to that as soon as they arrived home was just to be happy to see them. Yes. And I think that's so important.
1: Again, some people would say that's disrespectful, but to them it's not. Because they come from a very different culture where time is very different. (laughs) We should stop making stories around that making it mean something because to them it didn't mean any of that and actually we had a really lovely time didn't we it just
0: extended our dinner didn't it we ate for an hour and then they arrived and we we just sat around the table while they ate yes it was fine yeah but it could have been horrible if i'd been angry but the
1: other word i was thinking of like for this year for 2021 for me is visibility For some reason, have I always been a bit shy of being seen, being heard, never thought that I had much to say. But um, I really enjoyed our last podcast. And this year I thought, you know what, I'm actually going to share more because I enjoy it and I think it's good for me. And I think it's a good challenge. So I'd like to be a bit more visible and be a bit more brave with that. And the boys sort of helped me with that because I... I explain to them why I want to do that and um, that I want to upload some videos sometimes on my Instagram and they show me how it's done because they're much better at these things than I am.
0: Yeah, and mum, I mean, if it helps you to know that your podcast episode that we did together is the most popular bar one, which is Mez's, and that's why you're back. You're the only person apart from Mez who has been on this podcast twice.
1: That's so lovely to hear because that's not what I expected.
0: Do you know what, me too, I thought the first time we did an episode together, well, I know how amazing you are, but I just thought that doing an episode with my mum, maybe that wouldn't appeal so much to people because they would think, ah, that's a bit of a cop out, you know, there's not, that's not a big famous guest with a crazy story. But actually, I think a lot of people related to you and what you had to say really impacted people. And a lot of people have told me that they've listened to it more than once, multiple Mm -hmm. times. Um, So it's a real pleasure to Mm. have you back. And just On that note, there's one more thing
1: I'd like to say. You know, as your mum, uh, I had to learn from your early age that I had to let you go as well, because you were quite a strong, determined child. You were always raring to go from the minute from the minute you were born. So I learned very quickly that it was much easier and kinder on both of us if I let you go with a bit of guidance. So when when you were a teenager, you, you wanted to do things, go abroad, go places. And I tried to encourage you and it didn't mean that I was never scared for you. I was, but I didn't think it would be healthy to allow that fear to stop you.
0: Well, I would say that that's been my biggest learning this lockdown is to sit with my restlessness. And mm. that, that is a big saboteur of mine that comes up for me regularly that I feel restless, that I feel that my success is wrapped in actively doing stuff Mm -hmm. and I only feel like I'm productive or useful or successful Mm -hmm. if I am doing and traveling and going all over the place. And also, I guess it's a distraction from sitting with yourself.
1: Yeah, you're totally right. It is a distraction from sitting with yourself, which is really painful and hard sometimes. Exactly. But also very good.
0: And also, you know, I, I definitely seek validation in those things that I'm doing and coming back full circle my feeling of purpose is kind of tied up in doing doing, and actually i don't have to go far afield to have impact yes to have those little impacts within your everyday these podcasts you know this is something that i can do from anywhere Mm -hmm. we can do this at home we are at home and that's another
1: beautiful thing i heard someone say once is that people don't remember what you've done they
0: remember how you've made them feel (laughs) I love that. <laughs> the cat is drinking your water. <laughs> the cat's come to join on the table. You've been the most distracting of all. This little cat, the other family member of the ever-growing O'Hara family. What do you think, Mum? Do you think that this is it now? Oh no, I never say this is it. But <laughs> <laughs> eight kids and counting.
1: Yeah. Time will tell, Jess. Time will tell. If more people come because they need me then I'll just be very happy to have them
0: to receive them receiving their love as much as giving it to them Well, I heard a quote the other day that really sat with me that if you do not allow people to give to you and you're not able to receive, then you're actually denying them of the ability to give. If you're a giver and you're a pleaser and you're someone that always wants to give to other people, you are denying Mm -hmm. others the ability to do the same. You need to hold space for each other and it needs to be a give and take. And I hope that all of that space that you have held for us that it comes full circle you, what you give you get back and it does it does more. i have learned to
1: ask from my kids you know for what i need sometimes you know like can we do this he do this for me can if we... i sit
0: in front of you will you give me a massage. shoulder massage yes <laughs> yes, yes. And you do it so well <laughs> and the boys do it as well and, <laughs> and as the boys I mean. do it too they're great they're yes. all well trained in that yeah right the cat's eating the cake now <laughs> so i think it's time to <laughs> the cat has got the cream literally yes. <laughs> yeah she's the one who's disrespectful if anything uh-huh. mum she's <laughs> sat next to us eating our cake <laughs> taking a <take your> shit <laughs> oh my god yeah literally taking a piss the piss right Lovely, thank Jess. you so much and i love you mum love you too <laughs> I hope you enjoyed the first episode of season four of the Worldwide Tribe podcast. I'd love to know your thoughts on what you'd like to hear more of in the rest of the season. I already have some amazing guests lined up, but I'm always open to suggestions and questions. To get in touch, send me a direct message on Instagram at the Worldwide Tribe. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it, rate it and leave a review. It helps more people to find this podcast and it helps me to keep bringing you these stories. The more people who come on this journey with us, the more connected we all become and the more we unite as one worldwide tribe. A big shout out to Alexander Wells at alexanderwells.co.uk for our audio production and original score and to Ez Stone for mixing this episode.